0: Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Robert McPherson is a United States Marine Corps colonel and combat veteran turned humanitarian aid worker. After developing PTSD from his brave efforts and suffering from terror dreams and more, he wanted to find a way to heal. A service dog named Blue came into his life through a veterans program at the Southeastern Guide Dogs, and Robert has not looked back since. Blue, a 90-pound lab, has been a big part, literally and figuratively, of helping him to embrace life again and to work through any problems together. So before we jump into today's conversation, I wanted to pause and share a personal message For over the past three years, this podcast has been a really wonderful passion project of mine. And thankfully, I'm so supported by an equally passionate team behind the scenes. I've loved connecting with so many interesting guests and having the honor to learn about the power of the dog-human bond. I believe the selfless act of caring for dogs helps us learn to love ourselves, connect with one another, and treat all living beings with empathy and respect. My partners and I in Making Dogs Save the People invest a lot of personal time in making this podcast as best as it can be. And yet we do incur a lot of harder costs like web hosting and software subscriptions, recording equipment, sound engineering, and graphic design fees. If you would like to help support the show, please check out buymeacoffee.com slash dog people to donate the equivalent of what you would spend on a coffee to support our show. That may be provided as a one-time donation support like $5, or as a recurring monthly membership donation. All of the above would help us to create great content and to make this show as good as it possibly can be. I really hope that you all enjoy this as much as I do, and I get so much from this, and it's such a gift to be able to bring these beautiful stories and introduce these people to you all. So if you could, please go to buymeacoffee.com slash dogpeople to donate the equivalent of what you would spend on a coffee to support our show. This link to donate will also be in our episode show notes. Robert, welcome to Dog Save the People. Thank you so much for joining us today. So whereabouts are we speaking to you from? Hey, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina on a beautiful sunny day. It's great. Oh, beautiful. Well, welcome and thank you again for joining us. You have such an incredible story and I'm very grateful for you to be here with us today. So. Robert, can you just give me a little bit of a background about your career in the Marine Corps and then especially your work in humanitarian organization, please?
1: Born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. In my senior year of high school, they actually let all the boys out of school for the day to just go down to the mill and sign up to go to work like their fathers, grandfathers, aunts or uncles. And, uh, I decided I wasn't going to do that. So I went to uh, downtown Pittsburgh and enlisted in the Marine Corps. And I spent 30 years with the Marines. But when I was in Somalia, we were there not to make war, but to assist the UN and humanitarian workers just to save these people who were dying of starvation. To fast forward, I retired and just frankly because I got to know the president of CARE so well, which at that time was the largest secular aid agency on the planet. I began to do consulting work for them. And at that time, the Bosnian War was going on pretty strong. So that was my first humanitarian event in Sarajevo in Bosnia. Wow! I went from Bosnia to the genocide in Rwanda Mm -hmm. and then back to Somalia as an aid worker I spent nearly 15 years with CARE, heading up there. At that time, it was emergency response. Now they call it humanitarian response.
0: I can't imagine what you saw and experienced. And again, I'm so thankful to you and to people like yourself for doing this kind of work. So, Robert, what was it like adjusting back to life after your time in the service and the humanitarian work? I began to be
1: more comfortable in the midst of those complex situations, whether it's war. Or disaster, and had more trouble adjusting to the world I live in now. And one thing that you learn in the Marine Corps very quickly is you've got to be able to take it and you've got to be able to keep going in the midst of a lot of adversity. And particularly when you're commissioned and you're now responsible for groups of women and men who are with you, that doesn't go away very easily. It took some adjustment. First of all, let's just lay it out there. PTSD is a mental illness. Yes. You know, who walks around saying, you know, hey, I have a mental illness or who admits that to themselves? Right. You begin to realize that you've got no life starting to become more and more reclusive, angry at yourself. People that you love are staying away from you. At some point, you need to say, look, I can't do this by myself. And there's a better world out there. But then you got to overcome the biggest obstacle. And that's your own damn ego. Well, I can hang in there. I'll take care of it. In my case, you know, what may have helped was that having been a Marine, I think I might have felt, you know what? I don't need to prove myself to anybody anymore. I've been down that road 30 years as an infantryman in the Marine Corps. is not a joke. And I'd like to say to anybody listening to this, that it's a lot better on this side of ptsd than the side that i was leading going into it and the help i got incredible
0: i just wanted to share this with you and it's a very different thing but this idea of asking for help and finally sort of getting to that place i know in my own life i just celebrated three years of sobriety and i finally three years ago woke up one day and i'm like i need help i can't do this alone and it was my ego that was keeping me from asking for help and asking other people to acknowledge my my issue and my own illness. So I know that it wasn't easy to figure out your path forward after being diagnosed with PTSD. At what point did the idea of a service dog come into your mind or come into reality for you?
1: At what time does an angel arrive? Who uh, knows, you know? It seemed random at the time. But I got to tell you now, looking back, it seems like it was almost guided. I had seen this Southeastern guide dogs one time just by absolute happenstance of being in Florida, and my sister lived about three miles from this place. And just in a casual conversation with somebody at Thanksgiving dinner, no one knew anything about me or PTSD, and it was a random discussion. Oh, yeah, this place over there has service dogs. Well, on Friday after Thanksgiving, I suggested to my wife, drive over there and take a look at this place. So we did. I was impressed with it was a campus. I mean, I thought I'd go see some house. right? But this place was just a camp. I mean, veterinary buildings, it was on and on. So a year later, when I finally was in treatment at the VA, a person I was in treatment with just, again, randomly said, you know, I know some people that have service dogs. You know, I'm thinking about getting one. I started really reflecting on that. I thought about it for some time. And I even discussed it with my therapist. She made a statement that she would never stand in my way of getting a service dog. But her goal was to get me to be able to do things without the companionship of a dog. That made sense. But I stepped back and I thought about it. Here's what really came to me. The first thing is that I love dogs. The second is, you know, everybody has a choice, but I have always loved Labrador Retrievers. Yes. So I had this big old lab way back when I was in the Marines and coming and going from tough places, but she was always around and she wasn't trained or anything. She was just my big old lab. And every time I came home, I reflected on how much comfort I got just by that dog and me being together and i started thinking about it so i so much wanted this to make a difference i was on my last leg i needed this to make a difference i applied to southeastern guide dogs and boy that process is not a joke right i don't want to turn anyone off by saying oh it was hard it's not it's just they have these dogs they train them for two years. And they want to make darn sure that the person they're turning this dog over to is going to love those dogs and take care of them as much as the trainers do. So when I was approved and I finally ended up going through their two-week training, we're told to go to our rooms and that they would bring the dogs to each of our rooms individually to introduce the dogs to us. And we were to sit there and when someone knocked on the door to yell C-O-M-E, And that they would open a door and the dog would come in. So door opens. And I got to tell you, I sat there for a nanosecond because it really looked like something a lot bigger than a dog charging across (laughs) this room at me. So I'm sitting there and he had no hesitation. He hits me with pure joy with this tail that's lethal. Yeah. And this thing's going, and he was smiling, and I dropped off the ottoman to the floor. And I got to tell you, I knew from that minute, I almost felt like he whispered in my ear, hey, it's going to be all right. Wow. And that was the beginning. He has made it all right. He's made the difference. The therapy's great, and if people just go through the therapy without a dog, it's going to be great for
0: you. Yes. But I have to tell you, every personality is different, and I needed this guy. What kind of changes did you notice in your life when Blue arrived?
1: The first thing was a renewed sense of confidence. These dogs are as laid back and mellow as can be. But I felt in his presence, I began to be more comfortable going out into public. For me, there are a couple things that he does that are subtle that meant a lot to me. There's a cue that they're taught called block, and they don't even have to be told. But after a while, the dog senses when you're in an environment with people you don't know, he will position his 90 pounds between myself and that person to keep them about three or four feet away from me so they don't crowd me. It's so casual, no one actually realizes it's taking place. But the biggest thing from the very beginning. I had a lot of trouble with terror dreams. It was bad enough that my wife really couldn't touch me or shake me because we never had a violent incident. But we did have some times when I scared her just by reacting to that. It was getting worse. When I was at Southeastern going through training with Blue, on my third night, just being in a new place, new bed, I had a terror dream. At that time, he was sleeping next to me on the floor, and suddenly I felt this weight across my chest and arms, but I couldn't really move. He had pretty much pinned me and started licking my face. So let's fast forward. He comes home with me, and now, you know, he's he's all 90 pounds of him, crams into the bed between my wife and me at night. If he hears something going on, he does the same thing, but he crawls up next to me, never as dramatic as it used to be, but he has his own way of waking me up. No one trained Blue, my dog, on how to interrupt a terror dream. No one trained him to do that. It wasn't part of, quote, his curriculum. I am convinced that these dogs have a certain empathy, and they make these quantitative leaps of understanding and judgment and how to intercede. If he hears stress in my voice, he will walk over and he will simply lay his head across my leg. If I'm at the gym and he gets a sense that I'm pushing a weight too hard or doing something where I'm exerting too hard, he doesn't like it. And he will come over and stuff his big face in mine. His (laughs) face is about the size of a large watermelon, so you can't
0: exactly ignore it. I totally get the idea that dogs in general are empaths, but the fact that he has been able to guide you back into engagement with life is just, it's, oh. it's profound and how deeply aware he is of your feelings, but everybody around him. It's incredible. So Robert, let's switch gears a little bit. Now tell me about your journey into writing your first book, Stewards of Humanity. And how did Blue help you with that? I had got into a, a
1: very nasty situation in Mogadishu, and I was still a Marine, and it, it was it was pretty dramatic. Anyhow, I came back from Somalia, and I was retiring, and they also gave me a medal. But I remember standing there, and I thought to myself, you know, this is really nice. I appreciate being honored like this. But I started thinking about the humanitarians I became friends with in Somalia. Those people just go home, and they go on to the next event, but that's it. There's really no recognition. They might get a thank you from a boss or something like that. And I felt, even way back then, I, I felt compelled to honor those people. But until I got blue, I wouldn't have had it in me to go revisit all the events that I talk about in the book. Like the genocide in Rwanda. That's not a place you want to go back to see and remember. But I have to say, with blue My mind just settled down.
0: And so he would come up to your office with you and sit there with you, and uh, he'd be next to you while you're writing and remembering.
1: Oh, yeah. It was even more impactful than that. I would be writing and remember something, and I'd have, at times, quietly to myself, a slightly emotional... Listen to me babble. Once in a while, I would just shed some tears as I was remembering these things. He could be in a sound freight train-like sleep, (laughs) <laughs> and he would get up and walk over and put his head on my leg. I just began to realize he just wanted me to take a break. Right. So we'd walk downstairs, go outside, throw the ball, do something. That guy is with me. In fact, I'm writing a second book now actually about service dogs, and I don't know how it works,
0: but whatever it does, it works. I wanted just to read one quote that I have of yours which to me was very impactful. And it it says, My life is not perfect. I still have bad times, but it's different. We acknowledge rather than hide the depression and work through it together. The journey is now a quiet acceptance of the illness and its source without anger, fear, shame, or resentment. But the path has been guided by something intangible, only seen when I look into Blue's eyes. And I feel like that sense of the intangible is something that I'm excited to see how you can even... Put that into words when you're writing this next book. Well, you almost made me cry when I remembered
1: what I wrote. <laughs> wow, thank you. I'd forgotten that, but that's perfect. That sums up this relationship.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, he's a lucky guy, as are you. And it sounds like your you. wife has a third bed partner in the middle of you two. <laughs>
1: he uh he snuggles up closer to her than ah, me. Though. I love
0: it. He truly loves my wife. Beautiful. Now, where can we find you and Blue online and on social media? You know, he has his own (laughs) Instagram
1: called The Service Dog Blue. So if you want to reach out to me, I'm at RSM at, and then it's Robert Seamus McPherson. Can you get any more Irish than that? There
0: you go. Exactly. S-E-A-M-U-S
1: for Seamus and McPherson spelled M-A-C rather than M-C. So Robert Seamus McPherson. And there's a website for the book, and that's where
0: you'd find a book, too. Thank you again so much for sharing your time and and this story, and I look forward to reading your book. And again, for everybody and anybody who's listening, the book is called Stewards of Humanity, and it has a second title. Lighting the Darkness in
1: Humanitarian Crisis. But if you go to Google, or excuse me, Amazon, Stewards of Humanity will get you where you need to go. Thank you again, sir. It was a pleasure
0: to do this. Thank you. Thank you. I really loved hearing from Robert about how much of an impact Blue has made on all fronts and the fact that he helps him with his tarot dreams and he really just keeps him engaged in life and gives him this incredible sense of sensitivity, confidence, and that he really is this incredible empath. I think all of us who have dogs can agree that they help us in different ways, in ways that we just could never even describe. And that's such a beautiful thing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by As It Should Be, a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. And special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To sign up for our monthly email newsletter, you can go to dogsavethepeople.com. On the website, you'll also be able to find merch in our new online gift shop. This includes shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, My Foundation, where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address bark at dogsavethepeople.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you.